Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 to 25. Paul says here, But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But you have not so learned Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I have been all week greatly humbled by this text, and every time I read it again, Lord, I was even more deeply humbled by my ignorance. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit of God would take your word and open up our hearts to it, give us an understanding, I pray, dear God. Lord, thy people here need to hear from you, not from the wisdom of men. They need to hear from the Spirit of God. You need to teach this morning our hearts to put off our former conversation, the old man. Help us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind that we might put on the new man, which is created after God in righteousness. Lord, we pray, please honor the preaching of thy word. Forgive me even now before I forget. Begin, Father, for my weaknesses, my failures, and my insufficiency. Father, to glorify you as I ought, I pray that, Lord, you would bless as only you can. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I have, over this past week, in spite of all the things that were going on in my life and yours as well, but in mine, I've been blessed beyond words with this fourth chapter of Ephesians. You know, the eternal security of the believer is a divine subject, which I believe no believer truly ever gets over. Its depth of divine comfort, its peace and joy has no boundaries, no limits. It's an everlasting spring of water which never runs dry. To believe that you can come to a point and say, okay, I've got eternal security now. That might be theologically correct in your mind. But to draw from the wells of that throughout your Christian life is what the purpose of eternal security is. And it is an everlasting well. I've been saved nigh on to 40 years now. and The subject that we're dealing with this morning is one on which I, which I hoped and believed now that I would have heard years ago. God in His providence knows best. But it has enhanced the joy of my internal, eternal security in this fourth chapter of Ephesians. You know, one of the greatest blessings which the psalmist declares comes from the Lord being our shepherd in Psalm 23 is that he maketh us to lie down in green pastures. He maketh us to lie down in green pastures. That is when Christ sovereignly and providentially leads his sheep to a passage of Scripture, he would have them to lie down in its blessed and divine truths. To lie down in green pastures is to pause. 
while dwelling and meditating on a certain passage of Scripture. Psalms 1, we sang it, some of it. It's submitting humbly to its divine instructions until we have, by the Holy Spirit of God, been refreshed in our souls with its spiritual and celestial food, if I can use that word. I love it severely in that King of Love hymn we sang, where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth, and where the verdant green with grass, rich vegetation, and where the verdant pastures grow with food celestial, feed us. This is our food. This is our celestial nourishment. This is what feeds our souls as Christians. This is what gives us spiritual nourishment. And when Christ providentially leads us to a passage of Scripture, He would have us to lie down in it for a while, to meditate upon it, to dwell upon it, to think about it until we're saturated with it, until it's filled our hearts and our minds and it begins to conform us into the image of Christ. It draws us closer to Him. This is the art of divine meditation which is lost in this new generation of believers. Dwelling and meditating on the Word of God. Listen, I will be the first to admit I love reading books from our forefathers, the Puritans and Reformers. I've got many of them, and I enjoy thoroughly reading them. But I've come to learn over the years that though I might reap blessings from what I read from them, nothing gives me more blessing than when the Word of God saturates my soul. And too often we rejoice in the shadow and labors of others who's labored and they've come to know these truths through trials and afflictions, and so we we rest in the shadow of their labors. But do you know what it is to meditate in the Word of God of your own? To read from the Word of God from your own meditation and your own time of prayer and meditating on God's Word. That's where the real joy comes. That these men of days gone by would lead us to do such a thing. I believe most of their books do. Yet, I myself in the past have been guilty of simply resting in their labors. But when we we begin to meditate upon the Word of God ourselves, when we begin to labor over the Word of God ourselves, and God begins to reveal to us something out of His Word to ourselves, it makes the Word of God so personal. And it nourishes our soul like no man ever could. Let us then learn to humbly listen to the shepherd's voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That lying down in the green pastures of his blessed truth, we might be taught of him. That's why I love how Paul says that. Paul didn't say, you've not so learned from me. He said, you've not so learned Christ. Why? Because Paul exalted Christ. He didn't exalt himself. He led all his hearers to Christ. He wouldn't have them look at him or his knowledge or his understanding. He would have them look to Christ. May we feast on every word until our souls become saturated with his celestial food. Milk or meat? Babes or full age? It matters not, beloved, as long as we grow in Christ and our senses are being exercised to discern both good and evil, according to Hebrews. 
and like that of what Christ spoke concerning the testimony of John amongst men, let us be willing for a season to rejoice in the light and labors of others, but ever long and labor to know the truths of God ourselves. He said, you rejoiced in John's light for a season. But he says, standing before you is the light itself. So let those other men, those books, let them for a season lighten us. But may we rejoice in the light of Christ. Job said it best, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. (laughs) The two disciples who walked on the road with Christ said, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us. While he talked with us. You know, it's amazing. They didn't say that while they were on the road with him. It was after he revealed himself and left. They said, you know, you remember? Can you imagine those two talking together, his brethren? You remember when he was talking to us, how our hearts burned? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And while he opened to us the scriptures. You see the intimacy in that? He talked to us. He opened to us. God, give us grace. May that be our prayer. God, when I read Scripture, talk to me. Open mine eyes. Show me Christ. Show me more of Him. And here in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, one of those rich green pastures where Christ Himself would feed or teach us. He says here, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you've heard of Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus... Watch this. What is he teaching? What has Christ taught? What have they heard? What have they learned? That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is what Christ is teaching them. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul is simply saying, these things of which I speak cannot be learned in the school of men, nor of angels, but only taught by Christ. Which makes this divine exhortation most excellent and desirous for all those who have truly learned and heard of him. He's speaking about sanctification. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's speaking about sanctification. This is something that men don't learn of men. They learn of Christ. I've read a lot of books over the years on sanctification. One of probably the most that stirred my heart was Watchman, um, was uh, Thomas Watson on taking heaven by storm. I started reading that book on a plane going to England to a conference we had to go to a city two hours outside of London, so we landed there and took a train. And I had that book finished by the time I got to the conference. I could not lay it down. It was very inspiring. But it's Christ who teaches us sanctification. Men might inspire us to seek it. They, men might enrage our hearts to desire it, but it's only Christ who can teach sanctification. having exhorted the believers at Ephesus to walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their minds, Paul would now strongly exhort them by reminding them that they have not so learned Christ. If so be they have heard of Him and been taught of Him. I like how Paul puts that in there. If so be, if you've heard of Him. It's a divine lesson. 
Beloved, sanctification is a divine lesson taught the true believer by Christ. It isn't something one suddenly develops a longing for. Well, I got saved a couple months ago, and now I'm going to try to live a better life. That's not sanctification. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and life of every true believer. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, the sovereign Holy Spirit of God, in the heart of every true believer. And it's taught by Christ. Sanctification is not taught by men, but by Christ. This is why Paul emphasizes that. Perhaps there were Gentiles in the church that were still walking as other Gentiles. And Paul is making a distinction here. If you've learned Christ, you've been taught sanctification. If you have not learned Christ, you've not been taught of Christ. And therefore, you can't know what it is to put off the old or the former conversation, the old man, and put on the new. Because you haven't learned it from Christ. Believers learn it of Christ. It's not an option. You remember the first time you got saved, or at least a little time after that, how suddenly your desire for God and grew and your longing and love for the world just kind of dissipated, kind of went away, kind of got colder. Nobody gave you a book and said, okay, now you need to start doing this or that or this or that. Of course, some churches kind of teach that. Here's these things you can't do, you shouldn't do, make you a Christian. But no, in real sanctification, it begins happening immediately at conversion. It does. Christ begins teaching that us that at conversion. He doesn't say, okay, I'll, I'll wait and give you a little time. No, I remember immediately. I was one of the... One of the, and I'm not proud of it, but I was one of the people on the assembly line in Germany that drank the most. In Germany, you can drink on the job. And they don't care how much you drink. So from 1980 to 1989, don't buy an Audi car. Just kidding. But you can in Germany. You can drink as much as you want. Beer machines right down the road. We'd have a gunny sack and we'd just fill it up. Children, I'm not proud of that. I'm just simply saying, when God saved me, Nobody told me you need to stop. I stopped. Nobody told me you need to stop cursing. I stopped. Nobody told me I need to read my Bible. I read it. Nobody told me I need to go to church. I went to church. I'm tired of man-made sanctifications where churches put these tasks on believers and say, if you're really a Christian, you have to do this, you have to do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. No, it's God. It's Christ who teaches us sanctification. And it begins immediately a conversion. He begins teaching us. <laughs> we don't even we don't even know why sometimes. Look at Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. I pray today's message will help maybe some of you who are struggling with that with that con constant battle that you that you have that constant warfare that struggle that you feel and sense all the time in your life had that for years didn't know why last week the lord encouraged me even more why it was happening it's called sanctification thank god for it thank god for it titus chapter 2 and verse 11 for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Here it is again, teaching us, 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority that no man despise. You see what grace of God teaches us? To deny these things. Beloved, sanctification does not lead to salvation, but flows from salvation. It's the divine evidence or fruits of grace. The evidence of our election, not the cause of it. It's the evidence. And beloved, it is often the greatest assurance that we truly have learned of Christ is our sanctification. Anyone ever hear of William Perkins? William Perkins and John Calvin both said this in regards to sanctification. Like I said earlier, let us learn from them, but let us learn from him. But listen what they said about this. It makes sense to you. Assurance, they said, comes from a witness of the testimony of the Spirit of God. I think we'll all agree with that. His Spirit bears witness with our spirits. We love that kind of testimony. We love that kind of assurance, do we not? Oh, the Spirit speaks to us. We feel comfortable. We feel good. But... They go on to say, when the Spirit's testimony is not felt deeply enough to persuade the believer of his election, the effects of the Spirit will be demonstrated in sanctification. So in other words, if we don't feel the effects of the Spirit that much, it's sanctification by the Spirit that we must look to. They go on to say, the smoke of sanctification must rise from the fire of grace. Therefore, works, when evidenced as the fruits of grace, certify election and salvation. Works do not save the elect, but often succeed in assuring the elect. Works are evidence of election, they said, not the cause of it. These works are the benefits of Christ, and so they direct the believer's gaze to Christ. But you have not so learned Christ. You see how tuned they were with Scripture? For years as a young Christian, I struggled because within my spirit and my soul seemed to be a constant warfare going on, a struggle to do right, to live godly, to live for the honor of Christ. And I thought it was because I wasn't saved. I thought when I got saved, oh, everything's peaceful and joyful and no more conflict, no more fighting. And But there was this constant seemed like always constant, not always, but a lot of times, often this constant struggle inside of me to do what's right. Even my thoughts. And it bothered me, it troubled me as a young believer. I thought, why should I be having these things? I'm saved. Why should there, why should there be this struggle? It's called sanctification. And thank God it's there. Do you remember before you were converted, you didn't have that struggle? Before I was converted, I didn't care how I lived. I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care what I thought. Boy, when I got saved, something inside of me kept teaching me struggle, sanctification. 
Beloved, sanctification is an inward longing and yearning created by the Holy Spirit of God and taught by Christ himself, which drives the true believer to be holy, righteous, and godly. The grace of God teaches us. Christ teaches us to put off the, the former conversation. It's taught by Christ, and it's an inspiration of the Holy Spirit driving the believer to want to be more godly and holy the putting on of the new man which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And again, I want to quote Spurgeon, uh, the text our brother put up online a couple of weeks ago, which refers to Psalm 119, verse 20, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. My soul breaketh. Don't you love the word of God? My soul breaketh for the longing. He said, and I quote, and we've all read it, true godliness lies very much in desires. As we are not what we shall be, so also we are not what we would be. The desires of a gracious of gracious men after holiness are intense. They cause a wear of heart, a straining of the mind, till it feels ready to snap with the heavenly pull. You bear witness to that? A high value, he said, of the Lord's commandment leads to a pressing desire to know and to do it. And this so weighs upon the soul that is ready to break in pieces under the crush of its own longings. What a blessing it is when all our desires are after the things of God. We may well long for such longings. End of quote. Our Lord said in Matthew eleven twelve, He said, The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. <laughs> That's the verse Thomas Watson uses in his book, Taking Heaven by Storm. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. What violence? Oh, think about all the things that are against the kingdom of heaven, this world, Satan, sin, all these things. It suffereth violent, and the violent take it by force. What do you mean the violent? Yo, you got to exercise violence against such things to take the kingdom of heaven. You said, I thought we had it. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. Do you realize how much violence you and I have as Christians over the years? How much violence we've exercised towards our own sinful hearts? Mortifying the deeds of our body. The world is against us. Our own hearts are against us. Satan is against us. We have a lot of opposition. There's violence constantly going on in the believer's life. And Spurgeon and the Scriptures testify that that should be a blessed violence for the believer. Why is there often in my soul this sense of constant battle and conflict? this uneasiness and unrest which often disturbs my conscience and drives me to seek more of Christ. What is that? Sanctification. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Well-known verses. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye what? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't a slavish sort of fear or a fear of damnation or condemnation, but it's a spirit of humble reverence. Psalms 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Thank God for that continual struggle in our hearts, in our lives as believers. Modern day easy believism would say, oh, you're putting Christians under the law again. Christians should live easy and free with no troubles. And No, we're not of this world. This is a militant church. And we have within us our greatest enemy, which is our own hearts. We have a lot of foes. We have a lot of opposition. Sanctification is sometimes the most blessed assurance we'll ever have of our election. Why did the Old Testament, New Testament saints, why did the former saints of God always yearn for heaven? As I grow older, I yearn to leave this world of wickedness and sin. I'm not weary of the battle. I'm weary in it. Why? Forty years of living the Christian life, God has given grace and strength. But I'm telling you, as you grow in grace and knowledge, you long for that eternal home, that eternal rest. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think I've said it before, when he was dying in his final days and they were family were praying for his recovery, Lloyd-Jones opened up his eyes and looked into their face and they said, do not hold me back from the glory that awaits me. We long to go home. We get battle-weary and worn. We look at the world and all its sin and it's getting so vile and wicked. We want to go home. We want to see Christ But until then, we thank God for sanctification because it keeps our hearts from this world and keep us focused on Christ. The grace of God teaches us. How would He teach us? I won't get in long to it this morning. I want to spend some more time into it next week. I want to lay the foundation of these verses yet. I want to, I want you to notice how Christ would graciously and lovingly teach us how such putting off of such things which are corrupt according to deceitful lust, how he teaches us, how he encourages us to do that. Listen to these words just in preparation for next week because I want to get into verses, these verses here in Ephesians 4. I just want you to see how he encourages us to do that. Listen to these words. He says here, this is what he teaches us, that you put off concerning the former, listen to these words, the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Listen to this. Listen to these words. This is what I mean by meditating and thinking on the Word of God. Sometimes we read too quickly over it. 
Listen to his wording. He said that you put off concerning what? The former. I looked at that this week and I said, I, I, I'd never seen that. You ever done that? How, the, how could I miss that? <laughs> Christ is saying, this isn't your present conversation. I've taught you. It's your former. It's not who you are. And I thought, that one word gives me a lot of comfort. Christ is saying, that's not your, your new conversation. Your pres- that's your former. It's not the new man in 24. It's the old man. So you can, you can put them off. It's like taking a garment and laying it off. Get rid of it. You know what? It spoke to my heart because me, like you, we all, we're very familiar with the former conversation, ain't we? You speaking a couple of weeks ago about sometimes when something comes up or something, we hear something that takes our memories back to days beyond our conversion, and we think about it. we we're so familiar with the old, with the former conversation, are we not? We know it, and sometimes we're haunted by it. We're very familiar with the old man. We knew, we know the way we lived. We know our old man. We know it's still here. We know it's still present. And we know it still rises up in its ugliness sometimes and reminds us that we have within our hearts corruption that still remaineth that needs to be mortified. And so Christ teaches us that we can lay it off. We can put it off. We can lay it aside like a garment. But I love the encouraging word that it's the former. It's the former. It's the old. It's not the new. So he says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Oh, how we are familiar with that. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind before you can then put on something. So you're putting something off. But Christ says we've got to put something on too. And in the middle of that, you have to have a renewing of the spirit of your mind. You put it on, put it off. This is the blessed encouragement of being taught by Christ. You remember the, in, the, in the scripture how it talks about Christ shall lead his sheep. He'll take them in their arms and he'll hold them close to their bosom. And he'll lead those with young. He'll feed his flock. That's what he does. That's what Paul, Christ is teaching us. Aren't you thankful that Christ is so gracious and condescending when he helps us. It's a former conversation. I'm glad he put that in there because it helps me to be reminded it's not who I am now. Spurgeon said we're not what we should be, but we're not what we were. Help me, God, to lay off, put off the former conversation, the old man. Help me to be renewed in the spirit of my mind that I can put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. You see the hope there? You see the hope in this? It's an amazing exhortation. So why the struggles? Why the constant battles in our hearts and our minds? Sometimes sometimes there's peace. I'm not saying we're constantly struggling. But why is there? Why does it seem like there's, there's a consistent struggle and battle within my heart and my mind? sanctification. Christ is teaching us keeping our hearts 
from the things of the world so that we might ever look to him. There's a sheet right there. Would you pass that around? Let me get you some here. Just pass it along that way. Thank you. Get one to your dad there. I'll give you a couple here. You just pass it along the line there. With all that said, I want us to sing this hymn. 